Whoa, my goodness. Wayne, how high did you jump? <laughs> wow. There's a first for everything, right? <clears throat> All right, now that we got that out of the way. <clears throat> Um, it says I'm connected to it. Well, we keep working on that. Get it to the right setting there. David, you know, oh, there we got. Now, if I just cooperate. There we go. All right. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so today we're going to keep, we're keeping on with the journey of the children of Israel. Um, we ended at the end of Exodus last Sunday, if you remember. Um, last Sunday it ended, the end of Exodus, and this is one year into their journey after they've left Egypt. And they built the tabernacle and observed the first Passover. And now we're jumping way ahead we're skipping the 40 years or 39 years, I guess, that are left of being in the wilderness. And we're jumping ahead to Deuteronomy 29 this morning. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 29 finds the, the children of Israel on the brink of the Jordan. They're right at the Jordan. They're ready to cross over into the promised land. But if you remember, and I think it was alluded to last week, not everyone who left Egypt is entering the promised land. Actually, a very few are entering into the promised land. Um, the book of Deuteronomy is, is intriguing in and of itself. If you read through Deuteronomy, you have basically, I don't know, I think you could probably split it into three pieces. There's three sermons, if you will, that Moses is preaching to the children of Israel. It's kind of his farewell ad address. He has come to the end of his life, and his time of leading the children of Israel is over. His life is almost over. But interestingly enough, he's, I believe he's 120 years old at this point, when here in Deuteronomy 29. But it says he's, he was as strong as ever. Like his, like his strength hadn't faded. He could, I mean, how many times did he hike up and down the mountains? And then at the end of his life here, he's as strong as ever, God takes him up to the top of the mountain and he gets to see the promised land, but he does not enter, and there Moses' life comes to an end. But not only for, just for, not only for Moses, but for every person who was 20 years old and older when they left Egypt, all of those people die without ever seeing the promised land. Numbers 13 and 14 talk about, you remember the story of when the spies are sent in to spy out the land of Canaan, they're gone for 40 days, and they come back, and Caleb and Joshua are the only two that give a good report. They say, we can do this. And all the rest of the people said, let me just read it, said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
And I read that, and I was like, do you know what? Are they right? Part of it's right, I think. Are the people stronger than we are? I think that's probably true. But what did they miss? They forgot about the God who was going before them into the land and the God who had given them the covenant and promised them that they would come and possess and take this land. And they began to fear. And because of that, for each day that the spies were gone, they're going to spend a year of living in the wilderness. And that whole generation, 20 and older, is going to pass away. So now we come to chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. And this is the very last of Moses' three sermons, if you will. And I believe he is directing this portion directly to the people who are actually going to go in and possess the land. So those, are, those people, 40 years earlier, 20 and under, if they were 18 at that point, then now they're 58. So everyone who's going in to possess the land is at max 60, 60 and younger. So think about the, these people. They have grown up in the wilderness. They have been born and raised in the wilderness. The, the slavery part of them is now gone. But can you imagine a people who are raised as nomads in the desert? Can, these are strong people. These, are, these guys are survivors. They can live in the worst of worst conditions. But there's even more to it. And so I want to read these verses. I don't know if you can read it up here on the screen or not, but this is, it's from the CSB version. And this is chapter 29. I'm just re reading a selection of, of verses from the first part of chapter 29. Moses tells the people, These are the terms of the covenant of the Lord God commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, right on the brink of the Jordan there, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Mount Sinai. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants in his whole, and whole country, all the tests of strength, the miraculous signs, and the amazing wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you minds that understand, nor eyes that hear, nor hearts, ears that hear. For forty years I led you through the wilderness... Your clothes and your sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread, you drank no wine or any other alcoholic drink, but he provided for you so that you would know that he is the Lord your God. And then jumping down to verse 10, I believe it is, Therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything that you do. All you tribal leaders, elders, officers, all the men of Israel are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God. Your little ones and your wives are with you, as well as the foreigners living among you who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord your, is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into this covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you and he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you are not the only ones with whom I am making this covenant and with its curses. I am making this covenant both with you who stand here today in the presence of the Lord your God and also to the future generations who are not standing here today. Now, just a couple of things um, of note here. Did you notice what happened 
how God's hand literally provided for absolutely everything that they had while they were living in the wilderness. Food, water, all of that was provided. None of this was in any way were they self-sufficient in, in providing their food for their water, their clothes, their shoes, all of that. Nothing wore out. Now, I imagine we'd probably, probably all get pretty bored with wearing the same shoes and the same clothes for 40 years. A year is probably pretty bad for us, right? But, but what I think what God is doing with this next generation, the generation that's actually going to walk into and, and possess the promised land, is he is preparing them to trust in me. I've got you. I've got, I'm taking care of you. The very hand of God provided them with everything they could possibly need. And there's one more thing that happens in the wilderness, and this is true of the people of Israel, and it's also true of us today when we're in times of wilderness. It's when we're in those times that I think we're best attuned to hear the still small voice and the whispers of God. God speaks intimately with his people while they are in the wilderness. And I think all of that is God preparing them for something else, for something greater. And so God comes and he says, I'm confirming my covenant with you. And here is what I want us to catch in this portion of scripture here. He says that you will be my people and I will be your God. This is what they were created for. This is what they were designed for God's people, why he called them out, so that they would be his people and he would be their God. So that's what they've been called to, they've been provided for, they've been cared for, they've been prepped and prepared, they're a strong, a rugged people, and now they're on the, standing beside the Jordan River, the promised land is right over there, and they're prepared to head in. And God says, okay, I'm giving you a choice. I'm giving you a choice. And so they've got a choice to make now. And this is where I want to draw your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we're starting at verse 15. This is now God speaking to those who are going across the Jordan to possess it. Now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commandments, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long and good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I am giving you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Other translations say, for the Lord is your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choice. Who likes having a choice? We all like having a choice, right? We want to have a choice in the matter. 
God always gives his people the ability to choose. From Genesis to Revelation, God gives us and his always has the ability to choose. He will never coerce someone into a relationship with him because that defies the very meaning of love. It defies the very meaning of what it is to have relationship. What does it mean when he says, and this is what I want to focus on, today I want you to choose life. I'm giving you the choice, life or death. But did you hear the heart of God in this? He said, therefore, choose life. God pleads with us to choose life. But what does it mean to choose life? What does it mean for you and I today? What did it mean for them, the children of Israel here? What did it mean to actually choose life. I'd been working on trying to put into words what, how I would define this, and this morning Wayne and I sat down a little bit and we talked about it and we came up with something like this. Oh, that you would choose life. Life is living in the fullness of God's design for my life in the present, right now, but also in the confidence of the eternal life that I have in Christ. So it's much more than just being against abortion. We want to choose life. It's, it's, it's that, but it's much, much more. It's you and I living our day-to-day lives in the fullness of God's design for us. The children of Israel, what were they called for? What were they created for? To be set apart for God so that God could be their God and he, they would be his people. That's what they were called for. And so God calls each one of us to choose life. And this is not just a one-time decision that you and I make. Okay, so I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to live in the fulfillment of how, what God has created me to. I'm going to live, live my life with the eternity in mind, in the confidence that I have eternal life in Him every single day. Choosing, making the choice and choosing life is a choice that we make Every single day of our lives. It is a physical, emotional, spiritual, and intellectual decision that we make each day of our lives. That's what it means to live in in fullness. It's the whole capacity of who you are. Not just your spiritual life over here, but your physical life, your emotions, your intellect. Every piece of you is a part of choosing life and walking in God's design (coughs) for your life. So if living life, choosing life, is living in the fullness of God's design for my life in the present and in the confidence of eternal life in Christ, how do you do it? How do we do it? How do I practically do it? How, what does it look like? Well, God tells us that in the portion of Scripture that he, he, we just read, <coughs> there in, um, in the very end, says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey Him, and remain faithful to Him. One passage reads, cling to Him. So here are three ways that I believe that we choose life in every, or choose life every day of our lives. First, we love God, we obey God, and we worship God. So let's just look at each one of those just very briefly. What does it mean 
to love God. It's something we talk about a lot, right? We love God, but what does it mean? How, what does it look like? It means more than I can say here this morning, but it means something along the lines of I love God with every piece of my being. Every part of me. So think about that. How do you love God? How do you express your love for God physically? By how you live emotionally. What do you do with your emotions? How, what, the, the things that you feel. Your intellect, your mind. The things that you learn, the knowledge you take in, all those things. And spiritually, the, the whole of you loves God, not just one or two pieces of you. It means that God must be first in everything in my life. First in my work, marriage, relationships, school, hobbies, singleness, whatever it is that God has called you to live, however, wherever he's called you to live, God is first in that. But to love Jesus and to love God with your whole heart means you also find your purpose and your fulfillment in him. That's the only place that we can find that true fulfillment and purpose. Secondly, we must obey. I'm curious if anyone, did, did, did anyone notice a physical reaction, in your, something in your body when I said that? Often, I, I just think, I think it's unique. When we, when we talk about obeying God, obedience, also, like we stiffen up, dead quiet, every, every eye pops up here. And so like we, we immediately have this, not even aware of it, but, but a physical, almost a physical reaction to it. I do. It's like your back gets tense, your hand maybe grips your leg just a little bit. Some, something happens because probably with good reason, because we have used this idea of obeying God to beat, be, beat people with the Bible into submission. But does it mean that obedience to God doesn't matter? What I would like for us to think about when, I, when we talk about obedience to God, when we live and when we walk in obedience, we live in the fullness of God's design for our lives, Okay? We live in the fullness of it when we walk in obedience to Him. The things that God calls us to, when we talk, I'm, I'm talking about obedience to Scripture, the things that God calls us to obey Him in in Scripture are not so that He can control us. God calls us to obedience in Scripture because He knows that in that obedience, in that walking in obedience with him, something comes alive in me because it's, think of it as a parent, as you, as you discipline your child, you, they, you get them to obey you. Why? Because you know something that they don't know. You know that if they live this way, they do this, life will be better for them. But what we've often done and I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to myself more than anyone else, is when we talk about obedience, we simply take the sin and we preach against it, but we miss a piece. We miss, when we do that, we preach, again, we preach 
what we need to do is preach the beauty that that sin seeks to destroy. There's a big difference there. I, we can come up here and rant and rave and, and go on and on about all these different things that we shouldn't be doing in our lives. You should be obeying God and all this and this. But why? What's the other side of it? What's the beauty of what God created? So let, let me give you some examples. So God says, it says that God hates divorce. Why does, God, why does it say that God hates divorce? We talk against divorce, all that, whatever. Why? Because God knows that we were designed for a beautiful, committed relationship. There's something better. So instead of just ranting against divorce, let's preach about the beauty of what a good a married relationship should look like. Instead of preaching just about how bad porn is, it's awful. But instead of just ranting and raving about the awfulness of porn, why don't we talk about the beauty of God's design for our sexuality? It's, do you see what I'm saying? The flip, side, the flip side of everything, it's easy to talk about all the bad things, what we shouldn't be doing. That's the easiest part because you just do that. You just say, stop doing that. But why? What about envy? So we say you shouldn't envy. Okay, so stop envying. All right, so then let's talk about what does it mean to walk in contentment with God every day? The, the flip side, look, we, we need to preach the beauty of God's design because God doesn't say obey me in this simply so that whatever, because I want to control what you do. No, he says over here there's something beautiful that I have for you and I want you to walk and live in this. Gossip and slander. Why shouldn't you gossip? It, it cuts down life. What's the opposite of that? Building each other up, encouraging each other, speaking life to each other with our words. I heard one, one quote that I, I read it somewhere. I don't know where it was. Something, if you, if you never, oh, how was it? If you never, I think I wrote it down here if you let me find it. Always speak well of others and you will never need to whisper. You always speak well of others and you will never need to whisper. But what, that, what I want us to just get at is this, we have this reaction against any talk of obedience to God. But let's not just look at what we should be obeying. Why does God want us to obey? Because he says, I have something better for you. This is what I've designed and created you for, and that is walking and choosing life, because that's what God created and designed us for. It's the fulfillment not just what we are against. We need to be preaching what we are for. Thirdly, we cling to Him in worship. We worship God. We, in worship, we bring all of ourselves. We bring all of ourselves. This morning, the worship was so beautiful. The songs were so meaningful. But we bring all of ourselves, and we should involve the whole of our being in worship. So I'm coming, keep coming back to that, the whole of our being when we worship, it's not just a physical thing that we do, we sing. It's a physical thing, it's an emotional thing. We bring the spiritual, the intellect, we bring all of ourselves into worship of God. And that idea of clinging, clinging to Him with everything that we've got, in that we find life. So if we're to choose life in the days and the weeks ahead, 
First of all, love God, obey God, and worship God. The exact opposite of those are the things that will lead to death. Now, if we would keep going, and I'll wrap up here. Um, if we'd keep going, in chapter 31, Moses, God tells Moses, he said, look, these people are going to turn against me. They're going to choose death. They're not going to choose life. And it's just like, seriously, it's so sad. And yet, we see, we see God's grace coming through over and over and over and over again. When the people repent, he brings life. He brings life. He brings life. He brings life. When they don't deserve it. And if that isn't us, I don't know what is. When God brings us life, because if we think that the children of Israel are the only ones who have broken God's covenant, his law, then we're sadly mistaken. Because every one of us has. Unless you can go back and read through the Old Testament law. Read. I listened to Leviticus and Numbers in preparation for this. If you can live all that out perfectly, then you don't need Jesus. If you can live a perfect life, you don't need Jesus. Not one of us can, right? And so Jesus comes and God makes a new covenant with his people because every covenant that he has made with the people in the Old Testament has been broken. And we have broken the covenant. And God comes with the new covenant. And it's so simple. Jesus comes. He gives his life on the cross and that's death. But it doesn't end in death. There's the resurrection. And in that, we find our eternal life. Only in that, we find eternal life. So as we commune this morning, we are telling God, we're embracing that covenant that he has made with us. I give my life for you. And we're saying, I'm dying to myself, and I'm giving my life to you. It's because of the cross that we can now love, obey, and worship. So would you today choose life? God bless you guys all as we take in communion. Wayne.